We are indeed. Even as we try to fight it every step of the way, a wilderness wandering people. In reality, I think we're more wandering people than we are rooted. And that's okay. Because God is there. And today's story will show that God has always been there. Now this is another weird one. We've got sorcerers. We've got a king. Gets a little funky. But there's God still off in the distance. So we're not going to... This full story is like three whole chapters long and like three long chapters. So we're not reading all of it, but we are going to read a good chunk of it. Our scripture comes from the book of Numbers, chapter 22, verses 1 through 21. Then we're going to skip ahead to verse 35 and go through chapter 23, verse 12. Let's hear and listen to how God is still speaking through this ancient text. The Israelites marched and camped in the plains of Moab across the Jordan from Jericho. Balak, Zippor's son, saw everything that the Israelites did to the Amorites. The Moabites greatly feared the people, for they were so numerous. The Moabites were terrified of the Israelites. The Moabites said to the elders of Midian, Now this assembly will devour everything around us, as an ox eats up the grass in the field. Balak, Zippor's son, was king of Moab at that time. He sent messengers to Balaam, Beor's son, at Pethor, which is by the river in the land of his people, to summon him. A people has come out of Egypt, and they have now covered the land. They have settled next to me. Now please come and curse this people for me, because they are stronger than I am. Perhaps I'll be able to destroy them and drive them from the land. For I know that whomever you bless is cursed, and whomever you curse is cursed. So the elders of Moab and Midian went with the payment for divination in their hands. They came to Balaam and told him Balak's words. He said to them, Spend the night here and I'll bring back to you a word exactly as the Lord speaks to me. So the officials of Moab stayed with Balaam. God came to Balaam and said, who are these men with you? Balaam said to God, Moab's king Balak, Zippor's son, sent them to me with a message. A people has come out of Egypt and covered the land. Now come and curse them for me. Perhaps I'll be able to fight against them. 
and drive them out. God said to Balaam, don't go with them. Don't curse the people because they are blessed. Then Balaam arose in the morning and said to Balak's officials, Go to your land, for the Lord has refused to allow me to go with you. The officials of Moab arose, they went to Balak, and they said, Balaam refused to come with us. Balak continued to send other officials more numerous and important than these. They came to Balaam and said to him, This is what Balak Zippor's son says, Please let nothing hold you back from coming to me, for I'll greatly honor you, and I'll do anything you ask of me. Please come and curse this people for me. Balaam answered and said to Balak's servants, if Balak were to give me his house full of silver and gold, I wouldn't be able to do anything small or great to break the command of the Lord my God. Now you also must remain the night here so that I may know that what else the Lord may say to me. God came to Balaam in the night and said to him, If the men have come to summon you, arise and go with them. But you must do only what I tell you to do. So Balaam arose in the morning, saddled his donkey, and went with the officials of Moab. Skipping ahead to verse 36. When Balak heard that Balaam was coming, he went out to meet him at Ir Moab, which is on the border of the Arnon at the farthest point of the border. Balak said to Balaam, didn't I send urgently and summon you? Why didn't you come to me? Am I really not able to honor you? Balaam said to Balak, I've now come to you, but I'm only able to speak whatever word God gives me to say. That is what I will speak. Then Balaam went with Balak, and they came to Kiriath-Huzoth. Balak sacrificed oxen and sheep and sent them to Balaam and the officials who were with him. In the morning, Balak took Balaam and brought him up to Bamoth Baal, where he could see part of the people. Balaam said to Balak, Build me seven altars here. And prepare for me seven bulls and seven rams. Balak did as Balaam had said. Then Balak and Balaam offered a bull and a ram on each altar. Balaam said to Balak, Stay by your entirely burned offering. I will go, and perhaps the Lord will grant me an appearance and speak. Whatever he shows me, I will tell you. Then he went off to a high outlook. God granted Balaam an appearance. Balaam said to him, I have arranged seven altars and I have sacrificed a bull and a ram on each altar. 
the Lord gave Balaam something to say and said to him, return to Balak and say this. Balaam returned to him while he and all the officials of Moab were standing next to his entirely burned offering. Then he raised his voice and made his address. From Aram Balak led me, the king of Moab, from the eastern mountains. Come, curse Jacob for me. Come, denounce Israel. How can I curse whom God hasn't cursed? How can I denounce whom God hasn't denounced? From the top of the rocks I see him. From the hills I gaze on him. Here is a people living alone. It doesn't consider itself among the nations. Who can count the dust of Jacob or number a fourth of Israel? Let me die the death of those who do right and let my end be like this, his. Then Balak said to Balaam, What have you done to me? I took you to curse my enemy, but now you've blessed him. He answered and said, don't I have to take care to speak whatever the Lord gives me to say? That is the word of God for the people of God. We say together, thanks be to God. Now, who wants to give a summary of all that? Well, good, that's my job, right? How about you pray with me and for me? Holy Spirit, you are here. Holy Spirit, speak to us as a church community and speak the word that each of us individually needs to hear. And Holy Spirit, may all that I say point us toward greater union and intimacy with you, the lover of our souls. Amen. So here's what we got going on. After years and years and years of traveling in the wilderness, shockingly, these Israelites have finally started to get their act together. They've realized that all their complaining, their mistrust in God, it hasn't done them a whole lot of good. And they turn toward that path of right living. The term that we call righteousness. They've looked their sin straight in the face. They've repented and they are learning to trust God. They are still in the wilderness, but God is blessing them. And this blessing has gotten the attention of some people. This neighboring nation called Moab and their king Barak have taken notice. By the way, it's really inconvenient that the two main characters in this story have almost the exact sounding name. So Barak king and then Balaam sorcerer. So the king Barak looks down at these people this blessed Israelite people, and he says, they are going to cream us. 
They have too much strength. So the king sends some of his deputies, some of his officials, out to a distant land to contact this sorcerer who is known for cursing and blessing people. Cue this sorcerer, Balaam. And the king's officials meet him, tell him what they, their king wants, but Balaam really isn't feeling like this is an invitation he wants to accept, and he turns it down initially. Well, like a lot of kings, upon after he hearing this, like a lot of kings who will do anything to get their way, Barak sends people out again. But this time he really rolls out the red carpet, offers Balaam the kitchen sink to come and curse his enemies. And Balaam agrees this time, after some serious reluctance and having a little conversation with God. But he kind of slips in this caveat that I think probably was overlooked by the king's people because they're just so excited that he said yes. Balaam tells them, I'll come, but I'm only going to say what God will allow me to say. Now, it's interesting because we don't really know much about um, this Balaam. We don't know what he believes or what he doesn't believe. But what we see is that somehow he has this connection with God and is known for speaking for God. So Balaam goes back with the king's officials and these two men finally connect. The king has just given the sorcerer all these gifts, the deal of a lifetime to curse his enemies. So Natri Balaam issues a blessing. And the king just says, well, it must just not have been the right location. So he tries two more times, trying to change um, where this alleged curse was supposed to take place, thinking that will fix things, that perhaps Balaam just misheard God. So they try a total of three times, issue a curse on these people, and each time Balaam issues a blessing, because that's all God would allow him to allegedly say. Now here's the interesting part of this story. All of this is going on, this spiritual battle, and the Israelites have no clue it's happening. They're down there, minding their own business, while in the town next door there's this, this giant spiritual battle deciding their fate. And God is blessing them. They don't even know it's happening. They had been traveling for years and years and years. And here God has been this whole time. And now God is just off in a not-so-distant land blessing them. And they are completely ignorant. They have been complaining the whole time until recently. 
God's desire was still blessing, even though they couldn't see it. Now, I don't know about you, but in my own life, in my own prayer conversations, my own spiritual journey, I've often thought something like this. Okay, God, I've done this. So you're going to do this. You're going to do this act in my life, and you're going to allow me to move forward. Essentially played, let's make a deal with God. Well, then that deal doesn't happen. And meanwhile, while all that is happening, God is still off doing something to the side. Where if I would just, instead of being focused on what I think I want, if I were to look off to the side, I would suddenly notice what God was doing. If I looked toward the God of the wilderness, the God who was off doing something new in an unknown place, instead of the God of my own limited vision, my own creation even, if I looked toward the God over here, I would be blessed. Friends, for the past year in our world, um, at least almost a year now, going to be a year very soon, it would be oh so easy to lose patience. And I have been ever so guilty of that multiple times. At the best of times, I am moderately patient. And since marrying a very patient person, it has been revealed to me how impatient I truly am. So almost one year into a pandemic where clearly our lives are still being changed, it can be very tempting to tell God, okay, God, we need you to take this action in this time, in this way. In the words of Larry the Cable Guy, God, get her done. Now, frankly, I do hope that God walks us through the remaining of this pandemic as quickly and efficiently as possible. But I don't want to be so hyper-focused on how we want God to act that we end up missing the God who is still currently blessing us, even though it's at the periphery of our spiritual vision, even though God is blessing in the wilderness. Looking for God, the way God is works in the world, if we just do that from a place of how we think God is supposed to work, we may miss God. But looking for God, the God who doesn't fit our expectations or fit in our box, open to being surprised by God, which believe me, I'm not a big surprised person. 
But the reality is the God who surprises can bless. The God who shows up in the most unexpected places helps us grow. Poet and writer T.S. Eliot once said, in order to arrive at what you are not, you must go through the way in which you are not. And what you did not know is the only thing you know. In order to arrive at what you are not, you must go through the way in which you are not. And what you did not know is the only thing you know. I haven't read a ton of T.S. Eliot, but that sure sounds like a mind twister. So to break it down and kind of looking at it in context of this book of numbers, I think what we can see is that if we want to arrive at a new destination in our lives, if we want to get to that promised land, we have to be willing to experience something new and different. We can't keep living the same way we are used to if we want something different than what we have. If we tell God that we want something new in life, we want greater freedom, greater communion with God, but only look at the ways in which we're used to God working, we may very well end up missing God. Because sometimes we have to look for God in the wilderness, which means we have to look for God in the places we least likely expect God to show up. To look for the places in our lives and in our world where we don't think God would dare inhabit. And when we do that, suddenly we see that God's been there all along. More often than not, I never really like to speak in absolutes, but more often than not, the way to the promised land, whatever that may mean for you, the way to your own promised land is through the wilderness. And we have to trust that even in the wilderness, God's desire is blessing. God's desire is blessing to help make us whole. We just aren't always in charge of what that blessing looks like or aren't always fully aware of what we may really need in order to make us whole. But amidst that, God never desires our destruction. God never desires our pain. These first 20 chapters of this book, the people didn't recognize their blessing because they weren't open to it. They thought there's no way God can show up in this wilderness situation we're in. But then over time, this new generation comes up. And even Moses, who's now a very seasoned leader by this time, they realize how they've fallen short before. They renew their mind, a new way of thinking. 
and they become blessed. Even though God is still off working to the side and they don't see it, they recognize that they are blessed. And here today, in our world, in our society, spent the past year complaining about our own season of wilderness. And please, please, please here, I'm not talking about the genuine grief, the loss of connection, human interaction, um, and the legitimate losses people have experienced. Those are real, legitimate things that we are going to have to be walking through and have caused pain. But I am talking about the complaining, about losing first world privileges. And I'm left to think that we have missed God's blessing, God working in a new way, because we've been so hyper-focused on those. There could still be blessings in the wilderness if we just desire to look at where God is working instead of where we believe God is supposed to be working from our own limited vantage point. God's desire and God's will is to bless. But we, our role is to be willing to accept that the blessing and the spiritual formation that comes with that doesn't always come in the wrapping we expect or even want. And we can have trust that no force is greater than God. That doesn't mean that horrible stuff doesn't happen in life because it obviously does, but it isn't God's will or desire. So friends, the character of God does not change in the wilderness. In the past year where it felt like the news has changed every day, even sometimes multiple times during a day, the character of God has not changed. We just have to be open to the blessings that come from this time in the wilderness, especially when they're not obvious to us at first glance. In order to see God doing a new thing, we have to see with new eyes. And even when we get it wrong for so long, God still is with us. God decided to bless a group of people who had previously been painfully, consistently rebellious. So if you have ever thought that you have done too much that would keep God from seeking you, keep God from desiring your wholeness and healing, this story shows us that's just too bad because God is going to keep loving you, keep seeking you, keep desiring you. Even after all these years of complaint and unfaithfulness, God is still at work in this ancient community. There is simply nothing we can do to make God stop loving us or seeking us. Because this ancient book shows us how ridiculous God's grace is. God's grace led them into the wilderness. God's grace was ahead of them in the wilderness. God's grace met them in the wilderness. God's grace sustained them in the wilderness, in the wilderness amidst whining that would have driven out the most patient of kindergarten teachers. God's grace here today then refused to let them be destroyed in the wilderness. 
God's grace blessed them and led them to a new life. And that's some good news today. But God's grace, even amidst all the sin and junk, God's grace still meets us in our muck and sustain us if we are willing to look toward the God in the wilderness. So friends, God is in the wilderness. God is with us right now. Let's not forget, even in the most confusing and disorienting of times, God is with us. Because when we find God in the wilderness, we find that we can discover God everywhere. And thanks be to God for that type of God. Amen.